Mark Tui is here, advisor to political and business leaders and News Talk 1010 personality. In this week for Jerry Agar, lots to talk about this morning. First of all, nice to see you. So you had to bail on public transit and grab an Uber to get here? Yeah, there was an. I got to be a traffic reporter this morning. My bus kind of stopped in the darkest spot I've ever seen, and I'm sitting there and I'm reading all the stories and I'm looking at the you know the list of things that you want to talk about, and I'm look up and I go, where the heck am I? I'm in the middle of the woods. But no, there was a, a car accident. A very very dark spot in the eastbound lakeshore, right where it kind of uh, it merges with the Gardner traffic coming off the traffic at Palace Pierce at, at the Humber River. And so that delayed the bus a little bit. And then the streetcar that I was transferring to was a little bit delayed. And so I thought, you know what, I better hop into an Uber. Uber was quick. And uh, and we'll put all of these questions about why I should pay more money for that experience uh, to John Tory, who's going to join me at 9.50 this morning. Talk oh, about other good. things, but I'll, I'll see if I can squeeze in sort of, so what's the extra money for TTC going to do? I'll look forward to that conversation. You know what? A lot of people can probably sympathize. I certainly can because quite frequently I'll be on the subway and it comes to a stop and I'll think, okay, how long are we going to be here? And if I leave now, am I even going to be able to find a cab or an Uber? And the last time it happened, I finally decided, oh, fine, I'm two stops away from home. I'll get out and walk. And so I did. Uh, but listen, let's talk about transit then. Uh, the, there's a, the budget is a complicated process, so I will lean on the fact that you used to be the chief of staff to the mayor of Toronto to explain a few things for us. But for one thing, they want to increase the price of transit and they want to increase the transit budget, although that's not necessarily going to go to anything more than just staffing the crosstown once it comes into play. Yeah, well, the problem is we always get uh, federal and provincial contributions for the for the capital side of the budget. So anytime there's a ribbon to be cut and something new to be built, uh, the federal and provincial uh, governments step up to the plate to help pay for that. But they never they don't cough up a penny to actually operate the system afterwards. I think it was a a mistake for the TTC and the city to insist on it operating the uh, Eglinton Crosstown, because uh, now what we're going to see once it does open and it gets handed over to the TTC is every time the the train is a little bit late, it's going to be the fault of the builders. And the builders who don't have to operate it are going to say, no, it's the fault of the operators because it's a different organization. So I think that was that was dumb. And uh, we'll see how it works out. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is on I now take transit almost exclusively for the last year or so. And overall, it's a good system. I can get most of the places that I want to go. It takes longer sometimes than a car, but not often or not always. So, you know, the reality that underlines everything is I pay $3 and a quarter, has been, say, for since my time in Volden City politics, around 3 bucks a ride. Costs always about 5 bucks a ride minimum. So the TTC does two roles. It is a transit provider and it is a social welfare agency because it is subsidized and it subsidizes everybody whether you live here and contribute to the property taxes or not. I think that's a fundamental systemic flaw that should be addressed, but that's a big conversation. All and right. we'll take that up on the Jerry Agar show. That's what I wanted to ask you, if you're going to bring that to the table. I won't. I'm not going to I'm not gonna hit the mayor with it, because right the, okay. uh, the mayor and I want to talk about something you mentioned uh, earlier in the program. Uh, you know, I've been talking about gun courts yeah. uh, for a long time. I noticed that he mentioned it the other day, so I, I kind of just want to unpack what he's thinking when he says that, because if it's similar to what I think, uh, he may have been arguing 
this for a long time. I haven't heard it, but I think it might be a very good idea, and I'm hoping that Doug Ford and his staff are listening. Well, I wanted to revisit that because I was listening to you yesterday, and you were talking about this idea of gun court, and the issue would be that no matter how serious a crime you're accused of, if you're going to have to wait a year and a half for trial and you might be innocent, you can't be held in jail, which is how we end up with a guy like the guy who allegedly shot a police officer to death last week on bail. Yeah, it's fundamentally unjust for an innocent person to be kept in a jail cell for any you know ridiculous length of time. And so that's the premise under which our whole system operates. You're innocent until proven guilty. But uh, it takes too long. You know, it isn't law and order. I mean, where they wrap things up in a 45-minute in episode, uh, it takes two years regularly. So that's why judges and courts have routinely sort of said, you can't leave this person in jail, so it needs to be faster. The other piece of the puzzle, which is squarely on, uh, well, partially, I mean, it is within the realm of uh, Doug Ford's court, is, you know, the province operates most of the court systems, and it operates all of the jails. And that's the other piece of the puzzle that's missing in bail reform, is that courts have repeatedly said uh, the Ontario jails are inhumane, because in the one near where I live, you know, customers are, uh, customers, <laughs> I guess they are customers, yeah, clients, uh, whatever. but prisoners are routinely locked up 300 days a year because there's an ongoing labor dispute. Fix it so that, you know, the, the jail can run normally and judges will stop kicking people out of it saying you can't keep somebody in an inhumane situation like this. So it's easy for the province and everybody point fingers on Justin Trudeau and he wears a lot of the blame, but not entirely. Yeah, it is something that occurred to me in listening to you yesterday. An additional bonus would be if you're a judge who presides over a court that is nothing but gun crimes, then you quickly become a real expert mm -hmm. on that rather than having to be a generalist. Yeah, they set up uh, special courts for organized crime in uh, in. Quebec uh, a while back, uh, they mostly because they required special security, yeah. but they got to be very efficient at doing that type of trial. And, you know, if you had court, uh, crown prosecutors and judges and, and courts set up specifically for that, I think they could be a lot more efficient. Jagmeet Singh says we need more competition in the air travel industry and the holiday travel mess shows us why. Um, I find the the problem with competition in the airline industry is actually an international affair because you have to have a national airline and then you got this business of cabotage and stuff like that. I'm not as enthusiastic about what he's recommending here, having been the victim of discount <laughs> airlines in the past. Yeah, the problem is uh, what does competition mean? Does it mean better service for customers and more choice, or does it mean a whole bunch of struggling airlines? Because it's hard to make money in the airline industry. Yeah. I know it's easy to point fingers at Air Canada and say, oh, look, this month they made billions. Well, yeah, but every other year they've lost billions. I mean, on average, it's not a great investment if you're a shareholder. The reality is Canada has a small population in a very large country, and we're all spread like a, a ribbon of a butter that's kind of like spread from one coast to the other within 100 kilometers of the border. Most of our travel, most of our economy works north-south. So if the premise of our competition and the airline regulation is that you have to be operating in Canada for Canadians owned by Canadians, moving east-west is the least efficient direction to move. Moving north-south is and is much more efficient. You can get more economies of scale. But do we want to have all the American carriers picking people up in Toronto and taking them to Peterborough? Uh, much as I can't stand discussing him, I think this is a general issue worthy of attention. A lot of people are saying Jordan Peterson, the noted former uh, psychology professor at the U of T, is being oppressed by his professional body because they're questioning his politics. But when I look at this, I see this as... Um, you know, all psychologists are subject to the same rule, which is you're not supposed to be a public figure. 
Yeah, and the question is, in 2023, is that still a reasonable requirement? Uh, you know, I looked at this a couple of days ago. We didn't talk about it on the radio. It just really didn't make the cut. Because if I listen to Jordan Peterson's side of the story, uh, I'm fully on his side. Like, it doesn't seem like he's been treated fairly. It seems like the rules are unreasonable. I'd love to listen to the college's side that, that regulates them, but they're not talking. And so I, there is only one side to this story. It's Jordan Peterson. He has a megaphone. I don't know what the other side is. I think that's a problem for the college that regulates psychologists is they need to figure out how they get their side of the story out there, if at all. Well, everything associated with Jordan Peterson somehow becomes a huge political affair. But I guess what flies up my nose all the time, we don't have to dwell on him, is that people compare him to Marshall McLuhan. And I'm sorry, somebody offer me a single quote from Jordan Peterson, because <laughs> I think most people know the key quote from Marshall McLuhan. Uh, Canadian politics and nepotism, kind of an interesting column by Tristan Hopper. And I agree. I've, I get it that some businesses run in the family, you know, nursing, teaching, uh, funeral directors. But I've never quite understood, like, this preoccupation, is Ben Mulroney going to run for office? Yeah, no, it's not just a Canadian problem. It happens in every democracy. Because the, the first thing that any would-be politician has to establish is name recognition. If they don't know who you are, if they can't rec remember your name, they can't vote for you. And so the, you know, it, like any other family business, politics, uh, you know, passes down the equity that it's invested. If you own shares in Eaton because your name is Eaton, uh, you know, there's some value in that, but not anymore. <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> wow. But, uh, but the equity in politics is your name. And so if you're a Ford, you can get elected in Toronto, just about anywhere, except maybe downtown. Uh, you know, if you're a Trudeau, you can get elected prime minister on the strength of your name, even if you haven't done much in politics, although he'd done more than we give him credit for. But uh, but yeah, it's kind of like Canada and, and the United States, you know, with its uh, Bushes and, uh, you know, the Obamas, Michelle run, the Kennedys. We're kind of creating our own royal families. Thanks a lot. Good to have you.